Welcome to another edition of Thought for Food. I'm your host, Tim Buckingham. And joining me today is uh, Chef Bernard Gillis. Is that, is that how you pronounce your name? That's correct. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, great. I got it. <laughs> so, uh, who is in uh, beautiful San Diego right now? I can, I can see the ocean in the background as we speak, and I'm a little jealous. We're in snow, and uh, he's out in the uh, sunny California. Our things. Things are good. You, you, you're just in a different body of water. You were still, you know, kind of a little bit frozen. Mine is it's kind of liquid. Right. right. Well, well, I'm not going to complain about the snow out here because we definitely need a, it. It was a late start this winter, so we're happy to get snow. But uh, first of all, I, I would like to uh, learn about your background. Uh, you're French, evidently. Um, so tell us uh, how you became a chef. Yeah, I'm going to tell you from the from the beginning. I was born on the island of Jersey between France and England. This is a um, Channel Islands, and my parents were running a big uh, farm over there, uh, cattle farm. This is where the Jersey cows come from. And then I was shipped, literally shipped, to my grandmother, and I lived with my grandmother grandmother in Brittany for about uh, seven years. So you know, she had her own garden. She raised the chooks and the uh, and uh, the rabbits and the goat and the, the cows. And we had a big, uh, um, I would say, a garden. So, you know, it was kind of natural for me to, to be with grandma in the kitchen and start cooking. And then in addition to that, I had an uncle who was a butcher. His name is Bernard as well in the same village. Another uncle in the same village is uh, Gilbert. And Uncle Gilbert was the baker of the town. So, you know, food was normal to me and the, and the rest of the family was in farming. So it was like, um, you know, I have a really good understanding of how everything grows and how everything needs to be harvested and all that stuff. And at, at age um, 14, what we do is in France, you have courier day every uh, Saturdays for about two hours. So they try to see what is the natural ability of the kids to see what their, their natural ability and, and, and where they, they might go. And uh, well, you know, I was always cooking, so I did everything, you know, working mechanics and all that stuff. And one day I tell my buddy, say, what are the girls? Say, well, the girls, they are sewing, they are cooking. Say, sounds good to me. So I went to the class, 40 girls there. I opened, I was booed out. And then the teacher knew my family, said, no, no, let's, let's have Bernard coming in. And I was doing, they were doing a chocolate souffle. Well, if you want your life to change, make a nice chocolate souffle and the girls will just, uh, woo, <laughs> Ooh, la, la. I just went, oh man, this is good. And uh, so I did an apprenticeship with a two-star Michelin, Maître Cuisine en France, Georges Penot. So Georges Penot was really the avant-garde. Now we're going back 40 years. So he was really uh, the, the person uh, in Europe that people were looking at what he was, he was doing and how he was doing it. So I did my apprenticeship there for two years. Then I worked with another Maître Cuisine en France in Nantes. And then I moved to French Guyana. So I was in French Guyana for a year, moved back to France in a one-star Michelin, and I was going to move in uh, Hong Kong. I got a job at uh, uh, a beautiful restaurant in Hong Kong. And then uh, the, a chef called me and he goes, um, you, you bear now? I said, yes. He said, well, I would like you to come into America. And I go, America? I said, no, I'm going to Hong Kong. Say, yeah, but you know what? The other chefs, we talked about you and then uh, we decided that this would be a better fit for you. 
And I'm going, who are the other chefs? And what happened is the maitre cuisine at France keep an eye on the kids, the one who really do well. And without knowing, they kind of like uh, see what's the best for you. So that gentleman was uh, Pierre Chambrin and he became the chef of the White House. So I came in into Washington, D.C. And that was about uh, 32 years ago. Oh, wow. And life is delicious. So I worked with him for at Maison Blanche for about uh, three years. I was at the Mayflower Hotel as sous chef for a year. And I moved to San Diego to the U.S. Grand Hotel, the Grand Dame of San Diego, built by um, uh, President Grant. And uh, I was there for about three years. And then I moved to uh, uh, the La Rue Beach and Tennis Club. I didn't even know this, this place was here. I never heard really about it. And my uh, GM, good friend of mine, John Campbell, told me, hey, come on down. I want to take that job on ticket with you. So you let me know what you want to do. So I came down the stairs and the marine room is built in the ocean, literally in the ocean. So all my life, I was by the water. So I, I fell in love with it. I took the job and I celebrated my 26 year anniversary. So it's been, it's been a great, uh, great journey. Oh, sounds wonderful. So you basically come from your background as a farm to table chef, you know, uh, from your family raising, uh, did you, how, how'd you find the transition from the, uh, where you came from France, French kitchens, uh, and to American kitchens, what was the biggest difference that you noticed? Well, the thing is I was very lucky because when I came in, uh, Maison Blanche was run as a French brigade. So French kitchen, because the chef, Pierre Chambrin, was a maître cuisine in France, and he, he ran it exactly that way. But then when I moved over here and I became my own chef uh, in San Diego, uh, you know, you have to really make sure that you're not a cook anymore. You have to be able to do really good management. And, and besides management, you become a psychiatrist, as everybody you. and you become an accountant and you become a, a public relation agent. And I mean, it's like, and it doesn't stop. You have to really make sure that you really learn all of those, uh, all of those uh, uh, facets. And, and I did. I mean, the, the big one for me was really to learn uh, the financial part of it and everything was included in, into a financial statement. So when I was at um, the US Grand Hotel, I would do, I would work until like 10 o'clock at night and I will wor work with the night audit until like one or two o'clock in the morning to study spreadsheets and, and to really understand where all the numbers are coming from. So it's very important that you, are, you, have, you, have, you have a really great balance. So like this, if you have all those uh, platform uh, available to you and you really study them well, then I think that you can run a very successful operations. So you were in Washington, DC, right? Correct? How long were you there for before you went to California? Oh, I was there for about four years. And then I moved to San Diego after that. But I was not supposed to, to go to San Diego. Same story. I took the job at Petrosian, which is the biggest house of caviar in New York for executive sous chef. And when I came back, Chef uh, uh, Pierre Chambrin called me and he goes, no, you're not going to New York, man. You're going to San Diego. You got to be kidding, right? It's like San Diego, where's San Diego? I look at the map and I guess it's like it's Mexico. He goes, yes, but it's gonna be a good good place for you because you're ready to run your own show. So you, it, 
don't take the sous chef position when you have the capacity of taking a chef de cuisine in a very unique uh, uh, setting. So I drove cross country and arrived in San Diego. Right, and and uh, so California is a you know unique place to have a restaurant. It's it's a great place. You know you have uh, accessibility to all kinds of ingredients and. Uh, uh, so did you, has your cuisine changed since you got to California? Has yes. Any type, your type yeah. of uh, uh, preparation and service? Yeah, when I came to California, it was uh, very interesting because uh, you have to go back 30, it was 30 years total now. You look, you look at about 30 years ago, uh, you know, San Diego was really not a culinary destination by a long shot. We had a couple of operating uh, uh, for many, many years, but it was very, very quiet. My first six months were really challenging because I needed to, to really connect with the purveyors, connect with the, uh, with the farmers, the fishermen, and the artisans, so I guess I could bring all that into my cuisine. And I was able to do it, but, it, but you know, after six months, I went to my chef and I said, I am ready to go back to the East Coast. And he just went, no, 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 no. You gotta wait, give me another six months. You're getting a lot of uh, press already. People are really liking the way that you approach things. So in six months, you're not happy, you can go, but stay another six months. And then I stay, I stay forever. So right. the great thing about San Diego is that we do, we do have a lot of uh, farm uh, and the farming community has about 3,000 micro farm. So you really can, um, I would say, gather the fresh, freshest ingredients every single day. I mean, that's, that's, there's no excuse for you to not do great cuisine and fresh cuisine. Right, right. It is nice out there. I was in uh, Santa Barbara during the 80s, uh -huh. and uh, I experienced the same thing. It, it was just so nice to be exposed to such a variety of uh, fresh ingredients and really, really nice to work with. So, so, so when you when it comes to my cuisine, the marine room is very so it's it's French based. When it comes to the techniques, you will have the bablanc and you will have the the reductions and you have all those things. But I traveled extensively. I traveled about I would say seventy five countries. So it's really the ingredients and the style is really a quilt of of flavors and ingredients that I gathered all throughout my travels, but then I bring them over here and they are integrated in a way that it can tell a story, I would say. But everything has to be in balance, everything has to be delicious, it's gotta be, you know, really well styled. And, um, and you know, you create memories, that's what we do, that's our jobs. We create memories of lifetimes because people will come in and they, they will remember that special moment that they had with their family or, or their lovers, or the, or the celebrating anniversary, or, or, or anything. So that's what we do. So it's important that it's very uh, consistent and it's really delicious. So tell me how you discovered Moab. Well, <laughs> this is what happened is uh, my girlfriend is from Moab. Wow. And uh, actually, what it, that happened is we met when I was uh, doing food and wine in uh, Telluride, and she was doing the more. Um, she was doing the um, 
the uh, festival for um, yoga festival over there. So she was recruiting for her own festival. So then I came to Moab and I really liked it. This is, for me, it was like the kids in a candy store, you know? I mean, you go and 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 the views, the, the, the area, uh, the mountains, it's just gorgeous. It's really, really beautiful. So you, you've been back. I mean, that, that got you to come back and enjoy Moab more. Yeah, exactly. So I've been to Moab like now half a dozen times. And I see them throughout the seasons and starting to understand how it works. And it's really, uh, it's really fascinating, actually. And being, you know, the gateway to arches, I mean, you guys get, get a, lot of, a lot of volume of people coming in. Right, so right. For, for your restaurant scene for over there, for example, it's got to be a very interesting time where when the season hit, because you have to be quite busy, aren't you? Right. It, it, it's... Uh... Moab goes, it really has two seasons. It has the spring season, of course, when uh, everyone comes out of the woodwork and, and, and then it slows down a little bit in the summer when it gets hot. And then uh, again in the fall and then winter is pretty slow. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of difficult as far as restaurant business, you know, it's like you have this ebb tide, you know, as the the flow of the business, um, two two big uh, seasons really, and then but uh, but it's it's kind of filling in the gaps more and more each year, uh, and it was really interesting. Even though the, during the pandemic this year, uh, Moab was even uh, more popular than ever. I, I saw so many out of state license plates in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone was converging on, on Moab, you know, everyone's, everyone's uh, wanting to be outdoors now. So. Well, the thing that I saw also is that uh, uh, Moab is very, very safe. I mean, everybody is really taking this face mask very seriously. Uh, I, feel, I, I feel literally at home when I'm in Moab. It feels so good to be there, walking the street, doing the shopping, going to, you know, through the, through the area, it's really, it's really awesome. So tell me how, uh, how it ga- came down for you, the pandemic, what, what was going on? How did, how did things progress out one, there? One word, devastating, devastating. So this started in March for us as well. Uh, I had to close down my uh, fine dining, the Marine Room restaurant. And then a little bit later, we had to close the shores and the uh, La Jolla Beach and Tennis Club. So to give you an overview, La Jolla Beach Ten- Tennis Club is a private club who is located right on the beach. Uh, we focus a lot on, uh, on tennis tournament, especially um, we did the final or the Fed Cup, for example. So it's a very, it's a very uh, important complex, I would say, in San Diego and the United States when it comes to tennis. We have hotels. We have about uh, 98 hotel rooms on that property as well. Then you have the Shores Hotel and Restaurant open to the public. And uh, um, you have the, La Rue, the Marine Room, who is my fine dining uh, uh, restaurant. So we had to close. And then, so we closed number two, then we closed the, the, um, the club, uh, which means that we went from 450 employees to about 70 to make sure that we had enough people to take care of the 
to protect the, um, the the property and at the same time to make sure that everything stay in really good working order because we didn't know as you, yourself we didn't know if this pandemic was going to be two months three months unfortunately it's been almost a year now right. but we, we were we wanted to be ready to reopen turnkey so it means that when we closed down everything was completely clean everything was siren wrapped so like this, all your plates and everything. So if you would have to come back and open quickly, everything was already sanitized and ready to go. So, um, and then it got better and we were, let's put it this way, our governor has been uh, very uh, protective and I think that over the top a little bit when it comes to making sure that uh, we do not open. And uh, we were able to reopen though in uh, June. And so reopening June, uh, the shores and the club, waited a little bit for the marine room until the last week of June. We opened the marine room for 10 days and the governor shut down all indoor dinings. So we had to shut down again the fine dining restaurant. So when you look at how much it costs you to reopen and reclose and reopen, it is quite devastating. And then at the shores and the club, we saw we were doing only uh, outdoor dining, but what was really interesting is we saw actually an increase of revenue from 10 to 15% for the month of August, September, October. And then in November, everything slowed down again. And then we got closed again by the governor in the uh, first week of December. So it's, uh, it's, it's really, really hard. Uh, I can tell you that in San Diego, most likely 20 to 30% of the restaurant, I'm not quite sure they will reopen. Um, it's 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 just uh, uh it's devastating it really is devastating it is. and it's nationwide too i mean uh some parts are worse than others but uh like I say it, it's so difficult to open and close and open and close it's it's just it's just feasibly un, unattainable it's it's that's why i when i closed in march and even even in Moab, as safe as it was, I just couldn't see opening. And for the unknown, you can't just keep opening and closing. You just can't do that. It's I think it is it is also very difficult for the psyche of your of your culinary culinary and service team because everybody get really uh, into it when we reopen, and then everybody goes back. You're gonna be kidding. We're gonna close again, and it's almost like and everybody feels bad. And it's like, now, are we reopening or are we not reopening? So we heard today, no, we are supposed to hear today from our governor that we may reopen for 25% indoor. But you see, this is a trouble as well. It's like there is so many chatter everywhere that you, you, you can get excited and nothing happens. So we're just waiting for it. In the meantime, we reopened last week for outdoor dining. So it means that uh, the Laui Beach and Tennis Club is open outdoor. And we are waiting to reopen the uh, Shores restaurant and hotel, most likely in March. But it still depends with this new strain of uh, COVID that was coming from, uh, from South Africa and Brazil. I mean, people are very, very worried about the, the, um, the South African because there's really no, no uh, I would say, 100% uh, possibility that this uh, vaccine will be efficient. So everybody's, again, are we going to get a third wave? I mean, come on, it's got to stop. In the meantime, the, the, the restaurant we are doing very, very well is takeout. 
So you have uh, all the all the big all the big box are doing like crazy. I mean, you look at In and Out Burger, Chick Fil A, and all those guys. They just like boom, 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 going like crazy. And then I have friends of mine who have uh, uh, started a food trucks, and guess what? They are doing amazing, amazing. You know, there, there's a, a lot of flexibility here in San Diego where you can, you know, go and, and do that type of business in a different location in different cities. And, you know, they are doing fantastic. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a changing thing uh, for the restaurants. You know, like you say, how many are going to survive this? And it's, Again, you're you're going into unknown territories, like you say. This virus could be, you know, I've heard it could never go away, uh, and just keep mutating. And so it's it's something that the industry is going to have to evolve with. You know, yep. it could be an ongoing thing, and we just have to figure out how do we get through this and how do we proceed from here. I bet we can survive. It's it's a game changer. Yeah, I think that what, what will happen is uh, we're going to have to reset a little bit the way that we were doing business. Um, you know, a lot of restaurants, for example, the shores and the club, we had breakfast, lunch and dinner. And what we have done now, I have a breakfast. We were starting around uh, nine o'clock in the morning, not, not seven, not eight, just nine o'clock in the morning, nine to 11. And then I'm doing only a one menu who covers lunch and dinner. So like this, you have one team who is really working on it. And then there is not like, that's my mise en place, that's my mise en place. Everybody is working together closely. I mean, those are the things that we have to look at. The, uh, uh, the other thing is you have to really expand on takeout. We have to expand on takeout. There's a very, very high demand on takeout. You know, we're going to reopen indoor dining most likely. 70, 80% of the people feel they don't feel comfortable to eat indoor right now. What they want to do, they want to eat outdoor. So, you know, you have to also look at how you, you're going to make this work. So for the marine room, I have no outdoor. My outdoor is use, you're going to be swimming on the ocean. So it's like, there's no outdoor. So that one is, 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 is a major problem because that restaurant is very profitable. You're talking about close to 25% uh, profit on that on that particular restaurant. And then, you know, you just focus on the outside for the, um, uh, on the outdoor for the other restaurants. It's, 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 uh, it's new. So hopefully we are uh, able to reopen soon. And, but I think that at one point, what will happen is going to be like um, uh, every other um, disease is, you know, it's even with the vaccine, you're not going to be a hundred percent. So it's just going to protect you to a certain extent, and that's it. And we will need to reopen. We need to reopen. We right. need to restart. We need to get everybody back to work. We need families to be comfortable with enough enough money to pay their bills. It is not it is not a good not a good place to be right now. We need to really get everybody back to work. I mean, really. Right. Right. In a good and way. Yeah, and and you hear these. You know, you hear these stories how there even there's an uh, influx of people that are just completely moving out of California to more uh, rural areas because they have uh, the means to do it. You know, they can work online. That's going to be another factor because it's online working is going to 
continue even after the virus. And yeah, the online working. This is what this is what I see is that every large um, convention that happened before, I think, is going to scale down big time because people we have we have pretty much taught uh, those those um, um, big businesses that they can do a lot of their work remotely. So if you have a convention of let's say, I don't know, a thousand people and you can cut it down to a hundred and have everybody else do the stuff at home, then you will be saving a lot of money for your company. So we need to also be ready for that. I think that it's gonna be conventions, I think are gonna be, um, it, it, they're gonna get, we're gonna take a hit. That's that's a for sure. So that's why you have to really continue to work with your, with your local global clientele, uh, you need to really use your social media platform as a good way to show what you are doing. So if this when people are traveling, they look forward to come to your restaurants. So same thing in Moab to come to, to the region, I would say. It's not only one restaurant. I look at it as a whole region. If you bring a lot of people in the region and the people are able to discover uh, the area, they will dine with us. They will go to your restaurant. They will, they will look forward to it. So do you think also... Do you think it's going to change the cuisine as a whole? I mean, are you changing? Are you having to adjust your menu for these times? Remember those menus were um, three, four page long. Right. <laughs> no more. No more. You do, you just just do a smaller menu. Make right. sure that it's very well executed. Make sure that there is no mistakes. And then, and then you know you you able to you able to run with that. So show the menu, run specials. I do run specials in my at the marine room when it's open. I run three specials or four specials every day. And it's, it to this day, you know, for us chefs, it is a great way to express ourselves, to showcase what's in 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 the region and and, and in season. And at the same time, you can do something outside the box. And customers really look forward to that because they say that they, they feel that for those items, the chef really touched every single ingredient and, and, it, and the passion is in those dish. The, it's in all the other dishes I've had, it's special in those dish because it's a, there's a focus on it. So at the Marinum, for example, we were selling up to 30% specials a night. And it would be like, are you kidding? Now 30%. And some of those very expensive one. I, I was doing a Wagyu beef. Uh, I was doing a Wagyu rebuy for $95 or something like this. We were just, it was flying out the door. It was unbelievable. So, you know, this, this is what you have to look at. And then when it comes to the, uh, the shores, it was more family driven. Uh, it's going to be quick. It's going to be good. It's going to be at the right price. So uh, value-driven, even that the marina is expensive, you still have to be very value-driven. This is San Diego's. We, we are a very big city with a country-like uh, uh, approach when it comes to, to our food as well and how much it would cost. Right. So I think you're going to have to show more uniqueness now in the times yeah. and, and find that niche. You know, I think you know, after this, people are going to be more willing to spend the money if they get the uniqueness and the value. 
uh, because it'll be more of a uh, people won't take it for granted anymore going out to dinner. It'll be more of an experience, more so than ever. Exactly. And so that gives you the opportunity to yep. to shine and, and, like I said, come up with a more unique, defined menu. You know, besides the menu, I think what's going to be very important, and that's what I'm working on right now, mixology, specialty drinks, uh, wine by the glass, a nice wine list, because people, like you say, the, the people are going want, they will want to celebrate. And you celebrate maybe by having a little cocktail to start. And it can be a glass of wine with you know, a bottle of wine that you share with friends. But I think that there is tons of opportunity to really continue to get that growth when it comes to, uh, to, your, your, to your beverage menus and your beverage profit. Because you make more money in, uh, I would say, you make more profit in a beverage that you make in food, so. Right, so you're gonna to have to provide the, the overall experience yeah. And, and yeah, for to draw the people. And because, you know, you're, you're definitely not gonna be able to afford the larger staff, so service will change somewhat also. Or, or you'll be bringing in less customers, I guess. Is that the way you, you well, think that you'll go back to full, full dining, I mean, filling your seats every night, or are you going to concentrate on on uh, a smaller service? All right, so the way it's going to work, no matter what, is we have, the law will not change, I think, this year, period, when it comes to six feet uh, spacing between each table. So we, I already put this into my performance. Uh, I am not going to be opening the marine room seven days a week. I'm going to open it only five days a week. So now you are doing it with one single crew. So yes, there will be less, there will be less payroll uh, cost when you look at it. And and most likely what we're having, they will it'll create a little bit of a compression. So instead of being kind of quiet on Wednesday, Thursday, most likely will be sold out on Thursday, Thursday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, the Marino has no problem with it. The demand is tremendous. We're getting calls every single day. Uh, all my all my uh, um, uh, holiday parties, for example, already have rebooked, including uh, a doctor uh, celebration of one hospital for seventy. They're buying the whole the whole restaurant, so you can tell that there is already some good uh, some good momentum behind it. But I used to have a, a manager, an assistant manager, a supervisor, and a maitre d. Now it's going to be one manager and one supervisor. And I'm doing the same thing at the shores and the same thing at the, at the club. You need to kind of, you need to restart very fresh. You need to make sure that you, uh, you have a well-balanced um, payroll. And then you can build from that if the demand comes up. If you don't have the demand, then you still you can. Uh, say for the first couple of months, you'll be able to to weather the uh, the storm. But if you bring the, if you bring everybody, you can't. You just can't. But what you do is you need to make sure that you get everybody very excited to come back to work. Make sure that the the, the culinary team is like. Uh, 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 with high energy, you need to make sure that the front of the house, everybody's happy to be back to work. And, um, and you know, we are made from energy. And when you go to a restaurant, 
who is happy, who have high energy, you always feel good to be there. If you go to a restaurant and then you just get okay service and okay food, there's no reason for you to come back. Right. So it's gotta be, it's gotta be that experience where high energy and everything. So yeah, it's gonna be a more, um, we're gonna have to micromanage our payroll uh, uh, big time. I think that for food cost and poor cost, those are the things who are easy to manage. Even that people think that is so difficult to do, it's not that difficult to do at all. But payroll is a is a is a challenge. And and here in California, minimum wage went up to fourteen dollars. Minimum wage is going to fifteen dollars next year. Right. So, as a, as a restaurateur, you have to look at it and go, whoa, this is, I mean, all your front of the house is at minimum wage. And this is a, this is a big bump. It's a really, really big bump. So what do you do? You, are you going to continue to ri- you know, to raise your prices? You cannot do that. You have to look at the volume. You have to look at how many people, how many tables your, uh, your staff is going to be uh, taking care of compared to what they used to do. So instead of three tables per waiter, fine dining, it's going to become four or five tables per waiters and here you go again for servers and here you go again. Yeah. So you're going to have to provide more of a casual service, but still you're going to have to keep that quality of service up at the same time, right? You, you want to have a service who's going to be impeccable, but who also is going to be uh, uh, not over the top. Right. So it's going to be like casual plus, I would say. Yes. So you're not going to have like, say, a uh, wine sommelier or... No, you know, I have a story for one sommelier that you're going to like. So, you know, sommelier are great. I love sommeliers. But, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, some sommeliers have their preferences. So suddenly you have a sommelier who's building a, a wine list. And then the sommelier is the one who is going to pretty much dictate or tell all the staff what they have to sell, how to sell it and all that stuff. So we had a sommelier, sommelier left. And then we had, uh, I have four level one sommeliers. So they're not sommelier, but they've been studying. My, when that person left, my, re- my wine revenue went 20% up <sighs> because, the, because we continue our training. I continue my training with them. And then I give them way more leeways how to really approach, to study the, the clientele and, and to, to, to have the right recommendations. So, you know, this is one of those things that is part of the evolution as well. Do, that, do I say that sommelier are not important? They are very, very important. And so many years, I have a lot of so many years who are really great friends of mine as well. But I think that you have to have also uh, so many years who will be uh, good teachers. Not me, me, me. It's going to be like us, us, us. So that's that's the thing about uh, about so many. But I love those guys. They do a great. They do a great job. They know their they know their juice really well. Yeah. So, uh, chef, do you? Do you, are you still able, or maybe you are more into the kitchen now than before the pandemic? Are, do you find that? Are you in there more? Yes. Are you back in the... <laughs> I'm going to tell you why I'm back in the kitchen. Talking about making sure that you keep everything in balance is uh, my chef de cuisine 
uh, at the club uh, is on vacation. You could take some vacation. So I told him, I said, you know, take the vacation. It's kind of quiet. I'm going to take care of it. So I'm putting brand new menus today. So we have a new menu for uh, all day menu. We're starting. So I start. I was there early this morning to get to get the team ready for it and to be able to be with you. And then uh, I'm reopening, as I said, the shores is going to be reopening in March, and I'm going to be the one who's going to reopen it without my chef. Then the chef will come in a little bit later. So it's just to make sure that you you have enough and good balance financials. So yes, I'm going to put this on me, but it's good because I'm cooking. And then I will reopen the uh, the uh, and then my chef will 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 start over there at the shores. And then I'm reopening the the marine room. Hopefully, hopefully in May. So May first is what we said that we would do. Then I will I will restart everything over here with the team, and then my chef will come back. And then summer is going to be here, and everything should be good. Now, what's good about this summer so far? Because we have two hotels, we look at the pace of our the hotels are booking. We are exactly at the same pace at 2019, who was the highest uh, revenue year that we ever had. So it means that people want to travel. So the month of June, July, August, September, the pace is amazing. So for me, food and beverage, restaurants, if their pace is, is really high and uh, conventions and visitor bureau that I talked to about a week ago told me that uh, we would be most likely having a very, very robust uh, um, uh, summer season. It means that I think that we're gonna we're all gonna rebound. The thing would be, are we able to sit inside or not sit inside? Right. That's that's a catch. Well, I think for the those restaurants that do survive, they're gonna do very well because people people are gonna be ready. They're gonna be more than ready to get back uh, into restaurants and and that entertainment. They're, they're, they need it. <laughs> I mean, they're looking forward to it. So I think yes, they. They'll do very good. It's just the, you know, that's how they get to that point. You know, can you survive in that? And that's that's the whole process going yeah. on now. It is a process. But I think that Moab, you guys are going to do very, very well as well over there too. I think that, you know, you, you international, the problem is you don't, you don't have that international traveler right now. And then Biden just put a, uh, a travel ban for Europe and South America, some part of South America, I think Brazil only and also um, South Africa. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of maybe is going to tame down. But what we, I think you, what you will see, like what we will see, I know, is going to be people traveling inside the United States. Right. So, so I think that is going to be a very big influx. Like you were saying the other day, I mean, a minute ago about uh, the, um, uh, those uh, license plates from other uh, uh, at the States, I mean, yes, you will see more and more people. I think that, you know, all your campground and all that is going to be very busy. What I love is that uh, what uh, has been built. Uh, first of all, I want to say that uh, the city of Moab did a great job redoing that street, the main street, because I saw it when they started and it was like, oh, my God. And then it's really, I mean, it's really awesome. And then uh, uh, also um, it's amazing to me to see the growth of how many rooms are getting built into into that area in, in Moab. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and so Moab is 
is in need of more restaurants to to accommodate all those rooms. You know, it's, yep. it's definitely going to need the, the restaurants to do very, that. Very, very true. So you're back in the kitchen more. Uh, what part? What do you love most about that? Cooking. Yeah, I love cooking. It's it's one of those, you know. Sometimes I, 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 I you know, I would go, I would go back uh, to the house in Moab, and I would, and, and I would tell Christy, I'm going to go to the city market, and she go city market. I say yes, I like the city market, and when I go to the city market, I do all the aisles, and then I, I went, I went to the other markets that you have as well. But I love to cook. It's like you know, I can be working all day. And I'll come home and I'll cook something. It's just like, it's one of those things. I like the creativity part of it. I like the, I like the spices. I, lo- I used to teach as well. Uh, you know, I did the spice mixology. I was, te- I was teaching at Macy's. They have a beautiful uh, uh, culinary school over here. And they did it for like 10 years. And uh, it's, it's just, you know, whatever we touch, we don't, we don't cook because we have to cook. We cook because we love it. And every dish that we do, uh, you know, it's a piece of us. It's a, it's a piece of our soul who goes into the making of that, uh, of that food, which is really awesome. And, and, and I like to share it. So that's all I say that uh, life is delicious because cooking is delicious. And uh, it's, yeah, those are the things I like to do. I like to also experiment with a lot of different protein. Uh, we in San Diego, uh, it looked like that, uh, well, I know that I have been working with a group who is looking at putting some aqua farm, uh, in, into the area, all the way up the coast, all the way through Santa Barbara. And it will be for, um, Yellowtail. So, uh, I've been working with, uh, the hub. So I had a little, little, uh, Yellowtail who were like, you know, like five ounce to, about, uh, they were seven, eight pounds the other day. So I studied the fish as well. So this is not only the cooking part, but it's also everything that goes with it. So, you know, when I go see my farmers, you know, when, when I look at, when I look at the ingredients, I just go, okay, I'm going to do this with this, this with this, this with this, you know, like you, our brains say, oh, this is exciting. Cause I'm going to be putting that dish together. And I know I, I don't have to, I don't have to taste it. Like you don't have to taste it. You already know what the ingredient tastes like and you know exactly what works with everything. And that's, uh, that's what's really great. Baking the other day, I was, ba- I, I did, I had a, a very small group of people coming in uh, and uh, at work and they were gluten-free. So the thing about the gluten and the allergen in California is we are the, we are, I think that sometimes uh, I just wonder if everybody has a special diet. I go to the marine room, for example, looking at all the tickets, and I go, "Is this a restaurant or right. a hospital today? Is it a hospital today?" I mean, it's like so. But I was baking some uh, popovers, gluten-free popovers, and it was really, really awesome. It was, you know, I don't really do popovers. I'm a French guy. I don't do popovers. <laughs> and I did the popovers, and they were like, "Oh man, they were good." So now they will end up on my menu. And, and, you know, we, as I say, we have a lot of gluten-free uh, uh, demand or, uh, around here. So it's, yeah, it's really cool. So, yeah, I like that. And, and, and making the sauces. Making the sauces. So uh, European Butter contacted me with Chef's Role, and we did a shoot two days ago. So you guys, were, if you follow me on the Chef Bernard 
Guillas on the uh, on Instagram. I'm going to be posting a lot of all those uh, those videos. But you know, I was born in butter, so it's easy for me. Brittany is butter. Mm-hmm. Butter is goodness, you know. That butter is like, yes, but like everything else, it has to be, you know, handled with uh, good balance. That's it. Yeah. So it's you cool. Know, I, I'm I'm the same way. I the it's all about the creativity. I mean, I used to just love just like be five o'clock. I have to come up with a special, you know, in an hour and just go in the walk-in and just start, you know, getting the juices flowing and just, that's when the creativity kicks in. And, you know, I always thought like that, that aspect of the creativity is like, if I could, I would not create the same dish twice, you know, if I didn't have to, you know, it's, it's really, you know, the, doing the little nuances of, of creating the dish, uh, using just different things to change it up and, and that. And I've, I've even found that, you know, during these past months, uh, during the pandemic, you know, at home, you know, it, it gets the juices flowing, you know, it, wow. to do, cause you you have a limited supply, you know, you can't go to the store every day. It's what you have and, and you can, find creative things to do with the leftovers, you know, just do something, kick it in. And uh, another thing I've been into lately was trying to uh, do more vegetarian dishes more. uh, And which is, which is challenging. I mean, how do you, how do you create something uh, savory and tasty out of vegetables? And well, it has, it has a lot to do with the way that you, uh, you understand spices. That's right. one of those things. Well, I find I find that uh, uh, vegan cuisine goes very well with Mexican. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you know, most most of the sauces and stuff are Mexican. You know, the moles and all that. They're they're all uh, vegetarian, and and they go with any proteins or or vegetables. You can really do a lot with. Uh, with that type of cuisine and, and vegetables. I had, I had a Chinese, uh, I have a Chinese doctor and uh, she told me, she said, um, I think that you need to do um, a, um, it's almost like a cleanse, I would say. And she goes, uh, but I don't think you can do it. And I go, oh, I said, why not? She said, well, you're French, that's one thing. <laughs> and I go, well, this is not really a good thing. She said, no, I don't mean it that way. I mean that there will be no butter. That's fine. There's no cream, that's fine. So no dairy at all. I said, then that's not a problem. She said, no, no wine. And I go, damn, that's, that's a, tough a problem. <laughs> that's not a problem. So, and she goes, raw vegan, one month. And I go, raw vegan, one month? I said, I'm going to grow years. And she goes, no, no. It's, I think that would be good for you. But she said, okay, we're going to do, for you, we'll do half raw vegan and I cook vegan. And I did it for one month. And, you know, it's, what was really amazing to me is that we have a lot of uh, um, vegan store, food store uh, in San Diego. So I just went into it and, uh, and then I learned so much from it as well. You know, all those cheeses right. made from, from uh, cashews, for example, and you go, I was going to taste, that's going to suck. And then you taste it and you go, oh, my God, this is really good. So uh, I can tell you that I don't really eat meat anymore. I eat, uh, I'm a pescatarian and, uh, and I love my vegan and I love my vegetarian. 
And I, I just, I just love it. I mean, it's really, really good. And what's great about it, what I was able to really learn is what to pair with in wine pair with vegan or vegetarian. You have some, some uh, uh, ingredient or goes really well with a light red. You cannot, do, you cannot really do big red, but a light red, you can do that, you know, Pinot Noir and all that. But I can tell you that all the whites, including the, the sparkling or the champagne, there's not a problem there. It is really good. So, you know, you learn from that and, and, and it's, all, it's all about the flavor. It's all right. about how you are able to really put those flavors together. I always say that a good chef is like a sorcerer who dispenses happiness on the plate, but at the same time also is like being a painter and the palette that we have is incredible. Andrew or Andrew Tendek. It's, it's ingredients and, and uh, you know, spices. And then you build it and, and you still can make it beautiful. That's what's really cool about it. Yeah, it's like having a whole new palette, you know, to work from. It, it, it is really nice. It's, it's challenging and it's, it's just, it's very interesting to be able to do that. There's one thing I, will, I wanted to tell you, your audience is that uh, uh, the thing that I learned because I traveled and teach all over the world was when you travel, you need to look if there is a local farmer's market or a city market who is going to be, what I'm about city market is like a big market in the heart of the city who will, will really showcase the area. So when I go to China, for example, I will go to those local markets and, and you're able to learn so much. And the thing that you have to remember, and that the thing that I remember when I was a little boy, I was traveling with my mom and dad and we went to, uh, to Morocco and I was in the souk in Marrakesh. And, and I, I was, I like to get lost. So I would just go and all around. And, and what was really amazing to me is that the merchant are so generous because they are so proud of their heritage. They want you to taste that fig. They want you to taste that hummus. They, it's, and it's all, but it's like this all over the world. So when you travel, you should look at where there is a market and then you, you just go in the afternoon or go in the morning. I like the morning better. And then you're really able to immerse yourself, not only uh, in, in the food, but also in the culture. Uh, when I was in, uh, in Japan, that was, uh, that was like uh, two years ago, I went to the, um, uh, the fish market and I was invited uh, with uh, a local official to, to go at 3.30 in the morning before the tuna auction happened. And I gotta tell you, my God, it was so beautiful. I, I mean, this is the thing that we chef would dream about. I mean, all the fish were coming in and it was a tuna auction and it was, it was amazing, just amazing. Right, and like you say, it's, food is culture, you know, that's, you're exposed to the culture through the food and it's, you know, I discovered that when I first went to California, you know, the kitchens out there, of course, are mostly Mexicans. Mm -hmm. And you, that's, that was such a learning experience, you know, yeah. working with that culture and, and learning that cuisine, the real Mexican cuisine. Yes. You know, as opposed, because most Americans don't, uh, you know, especially out here, they don't know what real Mexican food is. Uh, but that's that's what I really loved about it is being exposed to that and 
experiencing that culture through the food. It's it is quite delicious, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. You know, it's that there is one thing that they do, and it's, it's, it reminds me when I was when I was a, a young cook. My, my uh, uh, Georges Pino, my master, I would say, uh, of apprentissage, told me to say, do not torture your ingredient. Let them speak for themselves. So it was like, don't, don't put too many ingredients in a pot because it will dilute their own flavors. So always make sure that where you, when you are cooking that you have integrity of that, that protein or that veggie or whatever it is, you really can taste it. Otherwise it is what we almost call fusion cuisine, confusion cuisine. So you have to you have to make sure that everything really is able to stand on their own like this. You can really taste everything. So you know, being from Brittany, I know a lot about my fish, shellfish, and all those things. I know about our oceans, but when I started to do the research, I realized that I knew not that much about our oceans, and uh, I think that seafood is uh, it's, it's it's precious because. Our oceans are one of the most mismanaged part of uh, of the globe, uh, between uh, pollutions and um, um, the raping of the oceans. Uh, you know, it's a it's that's why I really I have a passion for seafood. Yeah, I was I was happy to uh, when I first moved to California, I. I took a job at a seafood restaurant right right down at the harbor because I knew nothing about fish and I wanted to learn. And that's the way you learn. You, you expose yourself to it. And I really enjoyed it. But like you say, it's, it's you know, chefs, chefs appreciate food, which everyone should, but not everyone does, you know. Uh, you got to appreciate the ingredient and where it comes from. And, and uh, like you say, you there's a lot of uh, things that are, that's, that's one reason to, uh, you don't have to completely get away from beef if you don't want, but you don't need beef all the time. There's, there's so much other stuff. And because, you know, the, you know, one of the problems with, with the climate changes stuff is, is because of our culture of eating beef. I mean, it's created a a great problem. Yep. And so, uh, I think that's part of the part of to be a chef is to guide people in the direction we want to take them, you know. Yeah. You know, away from, we don't need all beef. We don't need, you know, it's not a uh, steak every night. It's there's so much more out there and so enjoyable. Like I said, working with vegetables is really is intriguing to me now. You good. know, I'm yeah. learning. I know it's cool. It, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I, you know, chef is like say we have to take a role in the, in the future of. Yeah, I I, I always say that uh, um, chefs have a responsibility to be uh, good uh, teachers and caretakers of our ocean and land, uh, and the the way that we're able to do that is really by um, being really good advocate advocate to sustainability, but it needs to be done, it needs to stay in balance. Because for example, 
can I have all of my ingredient organic in my restaurant at the marine room? 100% organic. Well, I got any news for you? No, I can't because if I work with one one uh, one farm, that farm will be out of business. Uh, I mean, they will have nothing to sell uh, within a week. So right. it's it's all about uh, natural. It doesn't have to be organic, but it has to be natural. It has to be in season. Already, if you do that, natural, in season, organic, well balanced. Uh, I think that that you are you are doing your part. So I have one more, one last question for you. I asked my guests, uh, and uh, it puts you on the spot. And that question is, if if you had a choice to sit down and have a meal with someone, meal and conversation, and this this can be uh, someone uh, living your dad, who would you choose? Uh, besides you, uh, let's see. Um, oh goodness. Most likely, I will go back to the early part of the century. Okay, I'm going to go back even more. I will go in with Bria de Savarin. Bria de Savarin was, he was in the, lived in the 1800 and he did a, a beautiful book that I have. I have an original copy, the, La Philosophie du Goût. It is a philosophy of taste. And at that time, they knew already so much about ingredients, um, so much about what ingredients were doing, not only feeding the soul, but also healing the body. And uh, those, are, those, those are, are just, that would be a, a beautiful thing to do. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Bernard. Good luck and My I pleasure. look forward to seeing you. Me as well. Take care. Goodbye.